If you're glad to have your pastor back home, will you go ahead and let him know right now how good it is to have our pastor and our first lady back home safely. We are grateful to have you home, pastor. We pray that you had a great time of refreshing and uh, you're making us all look very pale right now. But the sun is shining and summer's coming and we're grateful for that. Uh, if you would stand in honor of the word of the Lord, I just have two scriptures that I would like to read. It's found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than the, your way, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The title of this sermon is just very simple. It's just it's called the upside down. The upside down. And before you're seated, I just have one very important question for all of you. Where's Barb? Where's Barb? If you understand the joke, you can sit down. If not, you got to stay standing. All right, you can sit down. It's just a show. It's just a show. And uh we're talking about the upside down, uh, things that don't make sense. Have you ever had a time in your life or read something where you just say, man, that, that just doesn't make any sense at all? Have you ever had that time and that season in God where things just don't really logically add up to a whole lot of anything? Have you ever heard this verse that uh, the last shall be first? Pastor Draylon said it this morning in, in the uh, the pre pre service prayer with the music team, and he said, "I just want to be I just want to be the least, because the least will be the greatest." It doesn't seem to make sense. Can you imagine an Olympic athlete training his life for the race, only to be the first person to cross that finish line? And if Jesus were there, he would have said, "Congratulations." You just made it into last place. It doesn't make any sense at all, but God's ways are not our ways. And His thoughts are not our thoughts. Have you ever heard this verse that if you want to be exalted, you're going to have to humble yourself? So in order to go up, that means you have to... doesn't make any sense at all. Logically, wait a minute, I've, in order to go there, that means I've got to... It doesn't add up. How about this? Does anybody want to be blessed of God? Anybody? You better find somebody that's going to persecute you. It's just not a very popular thing. Find somebody who hates you. In fact, in Matthew 5, it says that, that blessed are ye when men shall hate you and deceitfully use you. That you are to love your enemies and bless those that curse you and, and to do good to those that hate you. It doesn't add up. If there, There's something inside of me. If you've ever been used and abused or, or somebody's ripped you off or treated you deceitfully and, and hatefully, there's something inside of our flesh that says, you know what? I like that Old Testament thing. That says, dear God, avenge me. Stone them. Uh, uh, utterly destroy them like the Amalekites. Do that, Lord. 
But Jesus says, you know what? No, you're blessed when they hate you. You got to love your enemies. You got to pray for them. If somebody slaps you, you got to turn your other cheek and let them slap the other side too. This isn't real popular. But it's the upside down because his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Anybody want to reap in joy? Reap with joy. Let that sink in. That God's going to allow you to harvest something in your life that's going to bring you joy. But the Word of God says they that sow in tears are going to reap in joy. There's a price tag for reaping on joy. And it's a valley. And it can be a dark valley. And it can be filled with anguish. It can be filled with heartache. But in the upside down, you have to understand that if you're going to sow in tears, that means you will reap in joy. It doesn't make sense. And it doesn't add up. But it's God's way. And, I, and my wife, I love you dearly, Talisha, but you've been spending a lot of time with Jesus. Because some of the things you say just don't quite add up to me. You've made a great commitment to your time and to your place in the home. And if you don't have a time and if you don't have a place in your home where you regularly meet God in prayer, then get one. Develop that. But she's been doing great. Because we were redoing our house the other day. And we got new paint and we did a new countertop and new backsplash and redid the bathroom. And so we're trying to design you know, the look and the feel of the house. And, and, and we're trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And she looked at me the other day and she said, you know, John, you know, less is more. Less is more. Less can never be more. Just by definition, less is not more. Like, Tony, if I, if I handed you a thousand dollars, ten one hundred dollar bills, and you've got that in your pocket, and I said, hey, let me get five of that, let me get five hundred, is less more in your pocket? It doesn't make any sense at all. And so I wish, I wish she, she viewed this from the same lens as our pillows. Can I preach for a little while? Is this all right? Because I don't know about you in your house, but every time I sit down on a couch, I've got to clear off about eight to ten pillows just to be able to sit down on the couch. When you make your bed in the morning, you got to put that whole pile of pillows back on. When it comes time for bed, you got to take them all off, and it's pillows on and pillows off and pillows on and pillows off. Talisha, listen, baby, less is more. Less pillows. And all the men in the house said, Amen. Amen. Less is more. Doesn't make sense, but it works with pillows. And so throughout the Scripture, there's, there's times and there's, there's verses that just doesn't seem to quite add up. And when I look at this through the context of God Himself, sin filled the world. There was evil and there was darkness. In fact, there's a verse that says, the thoughts of man were evil continually. And so instead of focusing on the evil and focusing on the sin, the Bible teaches that, that you overcome light or you overcome darkness with light and you overcome evil with good and you overcome uh, hatred with replacing it with love. 
And so we have, a, we have a world in darkness and a world of evil. And God said, I'm not going to focus on the evil. I'm not going to focus on the darkness. I, I'm going to choose to manifest myself in the world. Because His presence is greater than the evil. It, it, it's the upside down. It's not dwelling upon evil or dwelling upon sin. It's dwelling upon the presence of the Lord and adding that into the world. It's, it's Emmanuel. It's God with us. And that's what Calvary was all about. You see, because you and I, everybody knows that we're all in this same boat together. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That you who were dead in trespass and sin. That the wages of sin is death. A life before Christ, we only have an existence of death. But you see, in the upside down, it was our death and our existence in death that is what motivated life. Have you ever told somebody to get a life? I have. To get a life. That's what God did. He got a life in the form of Jesus Christ. And so because we were dead, God said, i got to have life. And He manifest Himself in the world and overcame the world. So in the upside down, there's things that don't make sense, but it's because our death compelled His life. And because of His death allowed us to have life. And life more abundantly. And here we have God's plan of salvation laid out in Corinthians 15. And it says you know, that, that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again. And we have a blueprint for salvation. And that begins with repentance. It is, it is the turning of one direction towards God. It's the death of your old way of life and walking into a new mentality and to a new effort and growth in God. But in order for you to have life, the Word says you have to have death. It doesn't quite add up just right, but you have to die out to the old way of life. And then we go to water baptism and we say it's the washing of the water and, and, and being a new creation in Christ. And, but in order to be washed in the, in the baptism, it means that you have to be dirty. In the upside down, if you're perfect and you've never made a mistake, you don't need water baptism. But if you are dirty, and if you do need forgiveness, and if you do need a washing of the water, then you must be washed. And you have to be dirty. So now we have a new creation in Christ. And now there's, a, there's an empty vessel and this new way of life and this new way of thinking and this new lifestyle. But in order for you to be filled with the Holy Ghost, you have to be empty. Because it's the upside down. If, if this glass were empty, we wouldn't focus on the emptiness. We wouldn't focus on how to get rid of what is empty. We would focus on filling the emptiness with something powerful. Filling the emptiness with something clean. And that's what the infilling of the Holy Spirit is. God's Spirit living inside of you that it will assist you and empower you to live a godly, righteous life. And so sometimes it doesn't make sense, but if you've ever felt empty, if you've ever felt broken or discouraged, I promise you, what you need is not to try to get rid of the emptiness. 
It's to add to your life the presence of God and the mercy of God and the favor of God, the peace of God, the joy of God, the love of God. It's not about what you are. It's about what you need to add to your life that will help you to be an overcomer. There's a verse in Ezekiel. I'd like to read you this verse in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 15. It's all about Lucifer. Lucifer was an angel in heaven. He was the choir director. The Bible says that he had a lot of gems and jewels on his, on his breastplate and his chest. And, and there were pipes and there were tabernacles. And, and, and the glory of God would shine. And that glory would be reflected off of Lucifer. And it would be very, very visible. A visible display of the glory of God. But it also says there were pipes and there were tabernacles, and when that glory not only did it shine on Lucifer, it produced a sound. I don't have time to get too distracted here, but we could preach a message that when you're born again, and that when the glory of God is applied to your life, it's not enough just to have something visible. It's not enough only to have something audible. You've got to have something that is visible, something that separates you, something that distinctly separates you from everyone else. People ought to see a difference in your life. They ought to say there's something different about you since, since you've been going to that church or since you've been praying. I see a difference in you. And not only that, I hear a difference. You don't speak the way you used to. You don't gossip the way you used to. You're always encouraging and you're, and you're positive. There's something visible And there's something audibly different about you when the glory of God gets applied to your life. So this verse in Ezekiel, it says, Thou was perfect. Talking about Lucifer. Lucifer's the devil. Lucifer is the fallen angel. Satan himself. But this is what God chose to put into His Word. It says, Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day thou was created until iniquity was found in thee. Is there anybody here that started out perfect in your ways? That from the beginning of your existence, God would stand and testify on your behalf that you were perfect from the day you were created. That's incredible to me that the devil himself started out perfect. In fact, when I looked up that verse in the Hebrew, that word perfect means without spot or without blemish. And so Satan screwed up one time. Iniquity was found in him. And he went from a perfect existence to being kicked out forever. Sounds like a bad deal. And here we have you and I filled with our flaws, filled with our shortcomings, filled with heartache, let down. How many times have you and I turned our back on God? How many times have you and I walked away from Him, spit in His face time and time again? That's what we've done to Him. But Lucifer started out perfect and became flawed. You and I start out flawed and God creates us perfect. It's an incredible transformation. In fact, in Ephesians 5.27, this is what it says. That He might present to Himself a glorious church, 
having not any spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that it should be holy and otherwise perfect and without blemish. We get to take His place. He started out perfect and became flawed. We started out a mess in, in, a, in a destructive situation and God says, I'm going to make you perfect that you would be without spot and without blemish. That's the power of the Lord that I serve. It doesn't matter where you're at right now. God can transform you. God can grow you into being a perfect person without spot and without blemish. Every one of us need the Lord to grow in our lives. And so my question is, have you ever felt like you've just beat yourself up a little bit? Why in the world would God want me? I don't have any value. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I did earlier today. You don't know what I did last week. Everybody's got a story. But this verse is so important. It's Matthew 13, verse 44, and it says again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. When a man hath found it, he hides it. And for joy thereof goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. How many people know that this born-again Gospel message is more valuable than anything else you could ever have? This salvation that God has allowed us to have, there's nothing quite like it. To be the called out ones. To be the ones that is washed in His name. Washed in, in the water. To, to be filled with His Spirit. Power from on high. Just to be a servant of the Lord God. It's so more valuable than you could ever put a, put a value to. It's so important that you got to be willing to sell everything. Sell everything that you have and hold tight to the promise and the salvation of God. Because there is nothing more important than your soul. And there is nothing more important than selling everything you own and holding tight to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, put your hands together. Oh, Jesus. I've heard that verse preached. I've read that verse I don't know how many times. With that explanation and that understanding in mind, that this Scripture and this salvation and this lifestyle is so valuable that, that you've got to be willing to sell everything to hold tight to it. It's the most valuable thing we own. But I don't think that's what this verse is about. I think I was wrong in trying to understand this parable that Jesus is teaching. It says again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, that when a man hath found it, do you really think that you or I found God? I have a verse that says, no man comes to God except the Spirit draws him. There's a verse that says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. There's a verse that says, before uh, the world was created, I chose you to be in me before the foundation of the world. How could you choose this life if God chose you before the world existed? There's no possible way that we could ever stumble across. There's no way we could ever discover 
this lifestyle. That we could have this great epiphany that, that, that God, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to choose you right now. Think of the disciples. We're, they were fishing. And God called them. And God chose them. God found them. We never found God. He first found us. But then it says in the verse, it says that when you found the treasure in the field, it says that you hide it. It said He hideth it. How in the world do you think that you could ever hide the kingdom? It's far too big to hide. The only thing you might would be able to do is to hide and to bury a little bit of that light that's inside of you. Maybe you can kind of cover it up a little bit, but the kingdom's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. There's no way that we have the power to hide the kingdom of God. And then it says this. Then it says that when you hideth it, it says for joy you sell everything that you have and you buy the field. How in the world is the kingdom of God for sale? There's no way. There's not a value, a dollar amount of value that you could ever pay to hope to be able to buy this lifestyle, to be able to purchase this salvation and this redemption. There's no way that this thing is for sale. If it were for sale, it'd be on every shelf in the, in the store. It'd be on Amazon. It'd be on eBay. You would just buy salvation and forgiveness. This isn't for sale. So how could you buy it? In fact, if it were for sale, you couldn't afford it. It doesn't matter who you are. The price is far too great to be able to purchase salvation. So what is this about? I'm convinced that before the foundation of the world, God is evaluating things. He's weighing them out. He sees the world, which is the field. And He sees you and I. And He sees the treasure that is in Sterling Heights right now. And He's evaluating, evaluating the cost. And He says, you know what? This is going to cost me everything. It's going to cost all that I am. There's not going to be one thing that I will withhold because one day there's going to be a church in Sterling Heights. One day there's going to be a treasure in these pews. And you're the treasure. And God says, I'm willing to pay it all for the church in Sterling Heights. I'm willing to buy the whole field just so I can have a church. That's what this is about. God paid it all for you and I. Because before the foundation of the world, He saw you. He saw you and He determined that the value of the treasure in the field is enough to pay it all. In fact, I've got this watch right here. It doesn't even work. It's, um, it's a little bit of gold. I don't really know the value of it. If... Um, you know, you'd have to weigh it and figure out how much gold is, is actually worth, but it, it's broken. The primary, primary objective of a watch is to tell time. It can't even do that. But let me teach you something very, very important. Even though this looks like it's not really valuable, even though it may be broken and not working right right now, this is very, 
very valuable to somebody in this room. This watch right here belongs to Talisha's grandmother who passed away a few years ago. And this is priceless to her. You see, you don't get to determine the value that is put upon your life. Your value is determined by what somebody's willing to pay for it. That's how you evaluate how valuable something is. And when you find out you're the treasure in the field, God bought the whole field for the treasure in the field and paid everything just to have you. Let me tell you, you're valuable to God. You're never discounted. You're never overlooked with God. He saw you from before the beginning and said, I've got to have this person. I, I, I've got to pay it all just so I can have that treasure. And that's how important it is to God. You're the treasure. You're the treasure. So how can we shine brighter? We know that when you're filled with the Spirit of God, that there's a verse that says God is light. And when you're filled with His Spirit, it's the fullness of God that lives inside of you. And that light is full power. Meaning, Pastor Hoffman doesn't have any more light of God inside of him than I do. He's no respecter of persons. God fills you with the Spirit. You're at full power. The, the only thing that could be different is how, how you operate in that authority and in that spiritual flowing. So how do you make your light brighter in this day and in this hour? There is a verse that says in Matthew 5.44, it says, you are the light of the world. And so God's calling us. We have to shine. There's no getting around the fact that we have to be a light to a lost and dying world. But in the upside down, it doesn't work as you might think it, it works. God's not going to give you more of light because He gave you the fullness of light. He gave you all the light and all the spirit that you're ever going to need. So what's going on right now in our world? Things are starting to get a little bit darker. We're, we're, we're seeing things in our society. We're seeing things in our world. And I see my light did not get any brighter. But it's in the upside down. It doesn't work the way maybe you think it would work because God's thoughts are not our thoughts and His ways are not our ways. So God's allowing our world and He's allowing our society to become darker and just a little bit darker. And because darkness, listen to me, darkness can never, it will never overcome light. But it will magnify it. And what's going on right now is the darker it gets, the more this place is going to shine. It'll be amplified. It'll be like a, like a lighthouse in a dark, dark night that when people are broken and people are hurting and people are desperate and they're, they're searching for something that won't be shaken and they're searching for something solid and of value and they're going to be able to focus and see the church because it's going to shine because God has allowed things around the church to become darker. And so that's how we shine brighter. Keep doing what we're doing. 
God's in control. Don't worry about politics. Don't worry about the State of the Union. Don't worry about what's going on in, in Lansing or what's going on overseas. We focus on growth. We're going to focus on prayer and on fasting. We're going to focus on moving forward because God has appointed all authority. He, he, he's the puppet master of the universe. He's never caught off guard. He's never surprised. We're just going to keep on moving forward. And the light of this church is going to be found around the world. But what about in the church? What about here? What if you want to have more of a voice in this church? You see, in the upside down, it may not be what you think it would mean. You don't seek to have more of a voice. You have to actually have less of a voice in order that you may have more of a voice. And that's what's going on in the upside down. And I'd like you to take you to science class for just a few minutes. If you like science class, you'll love this. If you don't, buckle up. Just hang on. We're going somewhere. But I'd like to talk to you just very quickly about something called destructive interference. Destructive interference. You see, light and sound waves are actually very, very similar. Light waves are a lot faster. Sound waves are a lot slower. And so, but each one of them has, has what is referred to as a sound wave or a light wave. And, and visible on the screen behind me, see those, those peaks up there? Those are called crests. And, and the things that are below that horizontal line, those dips and those valleys, those are actually called troughs. And that is, a, that is a actual a sound wave. That's what it looks like. And when you take a sound wave and you add it to another sound wave, if the amplitude is a little bit off, if the wavelength doesn't quite match up with the first sound wave, and you try to combine two sound waves that are different, it actually is destructive to the overall performance of the sound wave or the light wave. And so when you add two of different wavelengths, do you see on the bottom there? It's actually less amplified together. Does that make sense? Everybody following me so far? We have something that's called complete destructive interference. If you notice the crests on the top, on the top wave right there, compared to the crest in the, in the troughs on the wave directly below it, it's opposite. Okay? So the crest on the top wave is actually the trough on the bottom wave. And when you combine two opposite waves, they completely cancel each other out. But then there's this. Something called constructive interference. When you have two sound waves or light waves that are in harmony with one another, that when they're in agreement and the amplitude is the same, and the space in between crests and troughs line up together, the result of the combination of both of those waves is amplified. It's magnified. And it's a greater sound. It's a greater source of light. And so how do you have more of a voice in this church? You have to have less of a voice. Because there's one voice in this house. It's not mine. It's not Pastor Mike's. It's not Pastor Draylon's. There's one voice in this house. 
And that's the voice of Pastor and Sister Hoffman. And if we would learn to take their voice and support it, to take whatever it is that they say and agree with it, make sure that their voice is our voice and their vision is our vision because I don't want to be destructive. I don't want to tear down their vision because listen to how powerful this is. You and I, we talk a lot about the power of the man of God. We talk a lot about the God of the church. But there's a lot of power that's seated in these pews. That we have the choice to either destroy the vision or magnify the vision. And so, as you stand, I'd like them to come to the front, Pastor and Sister Hoffman. I believe there's going to be a church in this field over here. We're going to see it. God's going to provide it miraculously. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. But let me tell you something. If we do not agree with the vision, it won't happen. It's His job to have a vision. That's your job. Where are we going? What's the vision? It's our job to support the vision. If He's the car, we're the gas. If He's the fire, we're the, we're the logs. We're the ones who have to hold up the hands of this amazing couple. Because when we do, and there's perfect harmony, and there's perfect unison, that's when the magic happens. That's when there's unity. That's when there's something power. So come with me around this altar. Come on up. Don't be shy. I know you missed your pulpit. So here we have We've got a light. And l listen, this whole year, I feel like it, God has challenged us. January was met with the challenge of prayer and of fasting and the commitment to prayer in our homes and a, and a fasting routine. Started out with 21 days of prayer and fasting, and then we moved on to um, you know, the first three. And the first three days of every month, we're fasting as a church body. Then we got into November, and we started to learn and get disciplined about, about our finances and about the tithe and the first fruits and the giving. And we got disciplined with that. I think it would be appropriate in the month of March that we would become disciplined with our words yes. because we know that life and death are in the power of what we say. We can speak death to His vision, or we can speak life to His vision. And that allows God to magnify and amplify and provide for the vision. So your voice, Pastor, when you turn on your voice, when you turn on your light, no matter where you're at, I'm going to do my best to follow you. Wherever you're at, it doesn't matter. I'm going to follow you. If you say we're building the new church, we're going to build a new church. If you say we're not building the new church, I'm going to say, okay, let's do that. You want to do a church plant, I'm in. I'm going to support that vision. It doesn't matter what you say, Pastor. We're going to follow. So every one of you, you got a flashlight in your hand. And when you commit today, don't, as Draylon said, don't just be something that, that's going to be some kind of fun thing that we did on a Sunday. Be a man. Be a lady of your word. I lost you. Here we go. Here we go. So as you turn on your flashlight, you're making a commitment to your pastor and to God Himself that we're going to be a church that is unified. That we're going to be a church 
that is supportive and submitted to the vision of this man and his wife. Lord Jesus, we love you today. Mighty God, we sense your spirit right now. Lord, you are so powerful among us. God, we thank you for this man of God that you've allowed us to have in this church. Lord, I submit myself to him and to you and to your word. Guard my words, oh God. Guard my heart because we want to build something in this city that will magnify you. We want to build something, Lord, here that will forever bring you honor. Lord, that will reach and impact our world and impact this community. Lord, for there are broken and there are desperate people that is waiting for somebody to reach them, to teach them, to love on them, God. We're going to build something, Lord, in this field over here. God, it's going to be for your name's sake. It's going to be for your might and your glory and your power. We're going to commit ourselves, God, to being unified together, one mind, one accord, that the voice of our pastor would be magnified, that it would be amplified, oh God. Be glorified today, Lord, and now forevermore. In the name of Jesus, we pray, we pray.